Hi, I'm Joseph. And I'm TJ. And this is Hi-Fi. Joe, are you snowed in like I am? <laughs> no, we got rained in. Okay. You're down here. It's, uh, Jack Frost up there for you, right? Yeah, so apparently I just need to drive four more hours south. Although, further south of me in Texas, it's even worse, I guess. I'm here in between. I'm, I'm higher north than you are. You're a little bit further south. You're fine. And then Texas is way further south, and they're, like, completely snowed in. People are talking about power outages. I didn't have anything like that. I will tell you, though, I got out yesterday when it first started. And, well, it had started that night. And then during the day, I got out to do some things. And um, I remember why it's, it's you know, I'm from the north and driving in this stuff is fine. But people down here don't know how to drive in this weather. And really? so, even oh, in it's, Tennessee. It's, yeah, yeah huh. it's awful. So, like, uh, you know, the, it's pretty slick and stopping distance is reduced. And you got to go slow and take your time. And especially don't tailgate. And then so many people are tailgating me. It's like, dude, if I have to stop and then. It takes you a couple seconds to realize I'm stopping, and then you try to stop, and then you're going to slide right into me. Like, uh, you just you can't do it. You just can't do that. Mm. So I'm. Did you hear I'm about just, the pile up over a hundred cars that happened? No. Yeah, pretty bad stuff. I'm so glad I don't have to ro- oh, still drive. I feel bad for all the people that were out there because p- there were people who died because they they just got stuck in the pile up, and it happened in the wee hours of the morning. No, I think so. the I think the answer here is stay home when the weather mm-hmm. gets like this. <laughs> yeah, it's it's rough. Uh, I, I remember we had a horrible blizzard back in two, 1994. We had like three feet of snow, which is unthinkable in this area of Georgia. We get a, we get a light drizzle of snow every year, yeah. mm-hmm. maybe two inches of snow for a, a short window of time every yeah. three years. So... Yeah, I'm feeling for you. All my relatives <laughs> up in Oregon are experiencing it too. They got beautiful pictures and all the families going outside into the winter wonderland out in the trees and they're getting these beautiful family photos, but it's not easy. Uh, some of them had birthdays and they couldn't really go out and do anything. But at least in Oregon, they're more used to this sort of thing, I would assume. Yeah, but even for them, it's kind of heavy. Yeah, for them in Washington State too. Interesting. Yeah, I do have a friend who lives up uh, in Washington, which is really far north, and apparently they're getting some pretty heavy snowfall and shutting things down there as well. So, you know, we're talking about the weather. We should talk mm-hmm. about some other things. This is a podcast about, well, I suppose it's a podcast about the quality, your quality of life and your high fidelity <laughs> lifestyle. So I yes. suppose this is tangentially related, but we follow um, the story of the weather in uh, the current weather app and we like to keep it outside. Yes. So the weather, we're going to put it outside for now, and uh, we're going to ask our northern friends to come get their drunk weather that's uh, wreaking havoc in our yard, and um, we'll deal with that later. (laughs) So um, I, uh, when I was um, scrolling through Twitter, as I want to do, I came across a reminder of all that is wrong with um, the previous uh, few years of Apple's designs. And this is a picture of um, harpooning a turtle. That's a reference to ATP <laughs> for those of you who may listen to Accidental Tech Podcast. It's so good. And I love um, it. yeah, so this is the Magic Mouse, which I used to use. Uh, it is upside down and it has a cord stuck into the uh, bottom of the mouse to charge it. 
And uh, this is um, – I'm happy to report that I these days I have a mouse that when it reports to me that it's got a low battery, which it does around 10% instead of 2% like Apple's Magic Mouse and then Apple's Magic Mouse will promptly die. <laughs> this one will report to me. So usually if I remember at the end of the day, I'll plug it in and, and charge it and it will be fine. If I forget, guess what? I can continue to use my mouse while it's plugged in because the, the cord goes in the front. <laughs> And it's oh, just yes. like having a wired mouse if you do that. So, I, yeah, Apple's design here is nonsense. But what's frustrating to me is it reminds me of how much I used to like the Magic Mouse in general. But over the years, Joe, something happened even before this. So the first generation of Magic Mouse I had and I liked, and you had to keep batteries in it, but it was, was fine. Was it the one that – no, okay, yeah, it had batteries, it, yeah. It looked just like this, but it, it you had to put batteries in it. You didn't charge it. And um, – Mac OS, I don't remember which version it was, I couldn't tell you, but it used to work really well and it would, it, I would never accidentally scroll because, you know, you just swipe your finger over it and it would scroll. But then there was a Mac OS update, a major one, like, you know, from a, 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 a 10.10 to 10.11. I, I don't mm-hmm. think those are the those numbers, are but you know what I'm saying. Yeah. It's, it's a major Mac OS update. And all of a sudden I started getting all kinds of accidental scrolls. Like, like I would just be clicking and the thing would be scrolling and not just up and down, but side to side. And it just stopped rejecting accidental input. And it wasn't just my mouse. I tried, I thought, well, my mouse is broken. I'll get, I'll get a new mouse. Well, I did that and it was still doing the same thing. And every magic mouse since then, I think it's a software thing. It just stopped rejecting accidental scroll input. And I eventually had to quit using the magic mice. Uh, Mises, mouses. Um, and so, uh, yeah. So, but then of course, Apple releases, and I have one of, the, I have a couple of these actually, because I was still trying to make the Magic Mouse work, and it was just awful. I would, because first of all, Apple software will not, as I've already mentioned, will not tell you that it's time to charge the mouse until it's too late. <laughs> and then it'll be like, oh, hey, you might want to plug me in, and then it'll promptly die. And then you got to sit and wait for the thing to charge up, and you can't mm-hmm. use it while it's charging. So, this is just an awful, terrible design. Um, but what I thought was really funny is um, I found in the replies somebody saying Apple making cars, and it's a picture of a car flipped upside down with a lightning cable stuck into it. <laughs> yes, <that laughs> it's really one. good. It's so good. Anyway, I just uh, that amused me, and I thought I would share with our people. I kind of think that in 2021, with them replacing so much of the Mac lineup, that there's a I don't know, maybe a 15% chance that the mouse would get an update. And if it did, it would make a lot of sense that a lot of what they're going for with the changes is to kind of correct and respond to all of the complaints. And, well, they've shown they've yeah. shown a willingness to correct their problems with their input devices. For yeah. instance, the Magic Keyboard replacing the Butterfly Keyboard on the MacBook Pros. They've shown a willingness to do that. So we'll we'll see. But I, I haven't held that much hope up until now. And in fact, I have completely non-Apple input devices at this time for my computer. I have the Logitech MX Master 3 and a uh, Artec keyboard. I think I've discussed these on the show before, so I won't belabor the points. But they're working fine for me, and Apple's going to have to win my trust back here. But I just I came across this on Twitter. It says yeah. it was like uh, – what was it he said? Oh, I, I, it was uh, – this is still one of the most insane things mm-hmm. to happen in modern history. <laughs> yeah. It really is. It's just a terrible design. If they'll do for the mouse what they're doing to the MacBook Pro this year, that would be great. I would be down for it. The The thing is I'm using the Logitech Max Master, I think version two, maybe three. Okay. And 
these uh, left to right horizontal scrolling is really useful for video and audio mm-hmm, editing. Mm-hmm. So I prefer the Magic Mouse because it gives you that buttery smooth scrolling. Okay, so but... you must not be using the MX Master 3 because we have horizontal scrolling on the MX Master 3. That's what I use. Now, I do use software called Steer Mouse to make it scroll smoothly. Oh, wait, um, wait, 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 wait. No, I have the scroll wheel. You're telling me that there is a utility? Yeah, I use so I use Steer Mouse. Um, Steer I'm going to have to look it up and put this in the show notes. Um, it takes a little bit of configuring, no, no question. Um, but once you kind of get the hang of it, here it is. It's I'll I will send it to you over our robot, uh, and then I will also put this in the show notes. Oh, interesting. So it's a preference pane. Um, let's see here. Let me go to my preferences. Oh, I have it open because I'm monitoring my sound input. Okay, here we go. Steer Mouse. And then you can configure this per mouse. Um, so I have specific settings for my MX Master 3. And specifically, um, where is it? So on the wheel, um, I have the wheel set to smooth scroll. And um, do, 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 do. And it even says you need to set the sensitivity to minus 21. And so there's little fiddly things. So set the sensitivity to minus 21 for the smooth scrolling to work. Um, and so, uh, my sensitivity is set to minus 21 and I get smooth scrolling and it's really great. Um, and there's other things I've changed, like the, um, the, the acceleration curves and stuff to be a little more the way I want them. So it takes a little tweaking. It also lets me program buttons. Like I have my middle click on my scroll wheel set to mission control. And then I have the, one of the extraneous buttons, extraneous, one of the extra buttons on the, uh, under my thumb set to show the desktop you know it, it zooms all the windows out and shows you the desktop so yeah i do that too i know i do have the mx master 3 but the built-in scrolling is a little jittery on the horizontal plane so Indeed. i'm excited it is, to try this yeah it is by default and let me know if you have any trouble getting it to work i i spent some in fact i could probably just send you can so what you can do is you can click on the mouse that you are it shows you the mouse that you're setting the settings for and you can click mm-hmm. on it and then say export and it'll export a configuration file so i'm going to export that and then i'm going to send that to you and then you can import that and hopefully that will just work for you now you you may not like my acceleration settings but you can also always tweak those oh yeah a lot of uh, because by default mac the mac pointer devices tend to go slower than i like um where pcs their defaults tend to be faster than i like so i'm somewhere in the middle I know a lot of people talk about, well, I want my mouse to, I want to barely move my hand and I want the mouse to zing over to the other side. I don't want no, that. But, no, well, but I feel I, natural. Like Apple goes for natural scrolling. It just got yes, to feel natural. But I do find that Apple's default acceleration curves for mouse movement are a little slow. So I oh. I use Steer Mouse to tweak those. So anyway, let me know what you think about those settings yeah, sometime after the show. Looking forward to it. So I want to talk about Simple, which was my bank and i technically still have an account with them have you heard this of sounds simple? like uh banking for minimalists sure have you have you heard of simple.com before only through you uh, i think i came across a couple of ads once and it did look pretty good if i wasn't okay. already using uh the usaa and mm. the, the beauty of usaa was that when i was 20 i was able to get in on that because my then uh fiance was a usaa member and it was all online banking. So you could take advantage of ATMs anywhere and nobody else was really doing this sort of thing. Then your bank would cover the fees of those ATMs. So um, Simple 
is a uh, subsidiary subsidiary of BBVA Compass Bank, um, and they are a completely online bank. And so everything is done online. You log in securely through two-factor authentication and all that stuff. And, Welcome and, to uh, the future. Yes, and so that they have been my bank for years. Um, I was one of the earlier adopters, not a very early adopter, but after a couple of years, I jumped on board, and I've had it. I've had this bank for five years, um, and all the stuff goes through there. And they have really great budgeting features, um, such as um, what I and not just budgeting. I use their basically it's an envelope system, and you can set up uh, goals. So you can say, I want to reach this amount of money in this goal by this certain date, and it'll say, okay, well that's this much money per day, and it will move that money per day into that goal. It's like it's like walled off accounts within your account. And um, it was really great. I've saved lots of money that way. I saved up for a down payment on my house that way, just various things. So, so recently, Simple announced, BBVA announced, and they were acquired, acquired by PNC. I think basically there's lots of stuff happening up at the top with banks. And BBVA decided to shut Simple down. Simple is going away. It will be no more. So this leaves me in the lurch. I've got to figure out what to yeah. do, and and um, no other banks at the time when I signed up for Simple were doing what Simple was doing. And no other banks really still are. However, the closest I could get was one finance. Um, so I decided to go ahead and sign up for an account, and I moved all my money into one finance. Uh, they are backed by another uh, FDIC bank, so it's all you know normal banking stuff in terms of the back end. But the front end, it's all web-based. Um, they are missing a couple of features from Simple, and so I have the two banks set up so that um, the, 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 the biggest feature – is checks. I do have to write some paper checks now and then. Simple had that ability. One Finance does not. And so right now, huh. Simple still exists. My Simple account still exists. Uh, they're going away later, but my account will then be moved to BBVA directly. And so hopefully I'll still have the ability to send checks to that. And so right now, I'm just moving money when I need to write a check from One Finance into Simple. Anyway, that's all boring. How what old is, is not One boring. Finance? So One Finance is a startup. They're not all that old, but I'm pretty impressed with what they do have. So they um, they they have basically this what amounts to goals with what they call pockets. So within your account, you have pockets, and uh, this is the same. This is similar to Simple's goals. It's kind of walled off places within your account. What they didn't have, uh, and they still it still doesn't work quite as well as Simple, but I think they'll get there. What they didn't have was auto transferring of money every day. Right now, so now what they do have, they did roll this out last week. You can you can set your money to auto move into goals on a weekly basis, and so basically, I still have to run the calculations myself. So it's not quite as nice. I say, I want this much money by this amount of time. How much money do I need to transfer per week out of my safe to spend account? And then I set that auto transaction up. So it's a little more manual, but it still does work. Um, Other than that, they're all online and um, it's really easy to move money around. And uh, they're very – what I'm impressed with is they're very responsive. So um, I, when I started using One Finance, I noticed that every time I would go to the homepage, the view that has all my, quote, pockets, it would animate the pockets in one by one. And I have about 10 pockets. And so if I wanted to get to the pockets at the bottom of the page, I would scroll <laughs> down quickly and it's going doot, 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 doot. And then finally it would yeah. animate in. So I'd be sitting there waiting on it. And so I pinged them on Twitter and I said, hey, lose the animations. I had, animations just generally slow things down anyway. And if you do animations, they need to be done a lot better than this. Just lose them. And they um, they direct messaged me and said, what are you talking about? Um, we'd love to – I'm, I'm short. It, it wasn't that terse. It was very kind and nice. And so can we, can we get more information about what you're experiencing? So I made a video for them. I said, here's what it is. And within hours, they had pushed out a fix that, it, that removed the animations. 
And I am just extremely impressed that they were willing to, because because most of the time companies like this will give you the run. Oh well, that's you know our vision is to have this smooth and supple experience. That and it's like no, this was oh you know what you're right. Boom done. Right. And I and I've seen their founder interacting with people on Twitter, and he's very responsive and kind. And I don't know. I'm just really impressed. We'll see how far this goes. We'll see if this continues because I know they're a startup, but. And and they've they've also gotten from what I can tell a lot of influx of people when Simple announced they were shutting down, and so they're, oh. they they have pages dedicated to transitioning from Simple. They actually outline their shortcoming and say we're working on these features that we know Simple had that we don't, but we're happy to have you stick around that sort of thing. So we'll see how it goes. But oh. I um yeah I wanted to uh, to call them out and point them out if you were a Simple customer or were thinking about Simple. Simple's gone now or going away, but One Finance is here. Very nice. I'd recommend my bank too, but uh, they don't always open up to the general public. Hmm. Okay. How's your online banking stuff with your bank? It's very good. Uh, the app is pretty good too. Just got a good upgrade maybe two months ago, and I'm liking it very much. Yeah, one of the banks that before I found One Finance, one of the banks that was recommended uh, even by the, on the Simple Blog when they announced they were shutting down was Ally. Um, and I signed up for an account, and their their online stuff is garbage. And the one the one thing that I want, the one thing I have to have from my banks after Simple is a good online experience. Like it has to be it has to be online first, really, mm-hmm. you know. And Ally wasn't there, so that's why. Then I went digging again and looking around, and found One Finance. So that's where I've landed. Well, I mean, it, you know, we should talk about finances another time. I'd like to go into a deeper dive. The struggle, I don't mind sharing this with the audience. Um, I was uh, separated and divorced uh, back in 2017 and 18, and I didn't have the worst case scenario. I've heard of very expensive divorces, but it was still pretty expensive. And we were a two-income household. So we suddenly had new debts from the divorce proceeding and you know, max out credit cards and pay your attorneys and find new living conditions. It was very stressful and a financial burden. So uh, things went upside down. And thankfully, I've been not able to push it to the limits of the advice of Dave Ramsey, if you know what that's all about. But I have been able to dig my way back out of the hole and get into the black again. It took me about three and a half years, but I just got back in January. So I'm excited to start working on, now that I have all my debts paid off, recuperating my credit score and getting out of this mess. But it's uh, been a long journey and I'm excited to really use some banking features besides just pay all the things. <laughs> yeah. It, um, this probably does warrant, perhaps it warrants a longer podcast, but maybe not. I mean, you know, finances definitely um, are a challenge, especially when you consider finances in a marriage. And uh, I have not known much finances outside of marriage because I was married pretty young as was my wife and I were 23. But um, I can tell you that when I was making a lot less money than I am now, as, as you know, you do when you're a kid starting out, you got to, you know, climb your way to the top. Um, and finances can be a challenge. And we also got into some, um, debt, uh, some consumer debt, not good debt, bad debt. (laughs) And, um, 
it was uh, a challenge to climb out of there because you're paying, you know, exorbitant interest on credit cards, and it was just a bad experience. And I knew better, and it happened anyway, and uh, it was clearly too young and stupid to be dealing with credit cards, and they shouldn't have given them to me, and I had them anyway. But but also, we're, oh, I have so much to say about this. We're in a system that requires you to build credit in order to get a house and and that sort of thing. And so how do you yeah. build credit? Well, you have to get credit cards. Well, you know, when you're 20, you know, I think I got my first credit card when I was 19, and you're like, oh, well, um, I'll pay this off later. I've got them. I'll just swipe that card, and it's really easy. And then um, – and I didn't even – I wasn't even trying to spend money I didn't have. I, I was, I was going to pay it off, at, you know, every month, and, uh, and which is what I do now with my Apple card, for instance. But um, I just – it just got away from me, and I wasn't accounting properly. And um, and then that same thing happened, you know, when we were married. It really didn't happen until we were married, and I wanted a few things. We got a few things, and then we also had some – you know, some minor things that we had to, that came up with our cars and things. And before we knew it, you know, we had $15,000 of debt (laughs) and uh, it wasn't good. And it took us a while to claw claw our way out of that, especially at my income level at the time. But we did. And then, um, you know, we started doing envelope budgeting and um, Simple came along and helped us with that. I was already well into an established practice that Simple really kind of just fit the mold um, and that was how we were able to, now the only debt that we have is the house. Um, and that's considered good debt. You can, yeah. whatever, but it's, you're building, building equity. As long as you're in a, you know, we bought a house and we were young and that didn't work out well cause it was in a depressed area and the bubble burst and all that stuff, but we're in a good house and a good situation now. So long story short, um, finances probably are a, a longer, bigger topic that I shouldn't be going into as much as I am now. <laughs> Well, let's move on to something else that is more interesting, entertaining. Okay, we Joseph. We have good news about the iPhone Mini 13 version still expected on the horizon. Well, okay. So I don't want to belabor this too much. We've talked so much about this, but um, I put this in the show notes because um, we have been talking about it, and I was very sad last time we talked about it that the it sounded like the 12 Mini was cutting production. That that was a signal to me we probably wouldn't see the iPhone Mini anymore, that it was probably a one-and-done, or at least – in in the I think older Apple like uh, Apple of a couple years ago probably would have killed this phone, um, but the reports are and th- these are all just reports. All of this is just rumors, but you know the, to bear, varying degrees of validity. Um, that the reports are that Apple is going to continue making a mini phone that we will see an iPhone 13 mini, and it makes me I, I hope it's a I hope it's a true report. That's really all I wanted to say about this. Very nice. I'm glad to hear it too. I, I'm. I was listening to another podcast today and the guy was talking about the two-year cycle of having a phone. And I think that it is super reasonable. I really want to hold out. I don't want to get a phone this year. I just got the most expensive one last year and I hope that Apple does not suck me back in. But if there was one thing that they probably could do, it would be to give me a really super duper compelling camera on the mini phone. And I don't expect them to do that to make feature compared, you know, comparability with, say, like the 12 Pro generation. I believe the word you were looking for is feature parity. Parity, thank you. And I, I don't expect that to happen. If they did it, that's what I would use. But yeah, it, with that being said, um, unless it, there is the grandiose vision, which again, I don't think they'll do either, but they give us the iPhone 12, the 12 Pro, and the 12 Pro Max. The thing that is, the two phones that are hypothetically missing in the lineup is the 12 Max, drop the Pro, and a 12 Mini Pro. 
So I don't think they're going to ever do it, but my dream phone would be a 12 mini pro. So if, uh, if anybody sees something like that happen, you know, I'm going to be buying. So kind of what you're wanting right now, we have, uh, we have probably more than four SKUs, but for the purposes of this conversation, we have four SKUs. Um, and that is the, the 12 mini, the 12, the 12 pro and the 12 pro max. And you were wanting to have basically three of each uh, of, of the two. So you want three versions of the iPhone and three versions of the iPhone Pro. And I, I don't disagree with that, but it does feel like Apple is slowly venturing out into expanding their SKUs. It, it, it's something that Apple typically hasn't done as much of. They don't like SKU. They traditionally haven't liked SKU diversity. So, yeah. um, it, it, you know, and in, in fact, um, one of the things that Steve Jobs did when he got back to Apple, and I say traditionally they haven't liked it, they they loved it, you know, before Steve Jobs got back to Apple. Steve Jobs came back to Apple, and and the first thing he did was slash all their products, and then he gave, you know, the famous four quadrants. We want to be here, 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 and here. And there wasn't a lot of diversity within those quadrants. You were just sort of in those quadrants. And sure, you, did, you could do things like, I'm going to get 512 megs of RAM, or I'm going to get a gig of RAM. This is, of course, years ago. And, um, you know, those, you've got, you've got two RAM options usually on your laptops and you've got two size options on your hard drive maybe. And then of course they've expanded that over the years to four or five different size options. Although we're, we're back again with the, the M1 Max to less options. And so it will be interesting to see which direction Apple's going to go here with the phones, because I do feel like one of the things that they need to do, they, they we've seen that they are having a harder time claiming market share, and that's just because the market is saturated. And what they need to do to continue to gain market share is to fill in the edges, and they've started to do that because six skew, you know, or four SKUs of an iPhone is yeah. is a four hundred percent increase over what we had with iPhones one and or the original iPhone and the iPhone three G and the iPhone three GS and even the iPhone four S. Um, and 5S for that matter, you know, 4, 4S, 5, 5S. I, I, I'm, you know, we all, always had the same size iPhones until we get to the iPhone 6. And um, so they've slowly been filling in those edges. And then the, then the question becomes, where does it not become worth it to make these phones? And I was fearing that the iPhone 12 mini would be considered not worth it for Apple. If it's not selling enough, it's not worth making. Um, but they are selling. Clearly, they're selling some. So it, the, the question becomes: Where does Apple of today feel like that line is of you know putting effort in and selling only a few more phones? Yeah. And maybe that line isn't there. Maybe they haven't crossed that line. With the, I would be very happy if they hadn't. Yeah, it seemed like there were a lot of customers who were or reviewers, you know, the enthusiasts saying before we got the mini, you know, Apple, you know what I really want? I want a small phone. If you'll give that to me, I'm so going to buy it. I'll be all over that. And you know, you'll sell a lot of them. And then it came out and not as many people bought them. And I think that the reaction from some of the enthusiast market like me was to say, well, yeah, no, Apple, I did say I was going to buy the mini, but you know what I really want? I want the mini pro. <laughs> and I, I, I know I'm doing it. I know a lot of us have done that. Right. Uh, anything that you buy technology-wise, I know we've talked about this, it's trade-offs, right? I chose the trade-offs where I didn't get as good of a camera. You chose the – but I got I got the size that I wanted. You chose the trade-off where you got the camera you wanted but not the size. Mm -hmm. And if Apple was willing to fill in the edges a little more, they could offer you the camera that you wanted in the size that you wanted – and and then you still have the battery trade off, but there's not there's not a lot to be done about that currently. And I'm right. willing to make that trade off, and the battery has been perfectly fine for me. We'll see if that continues to hold out 
over the years. But but the question is a, a question of trade-offs. And you said, Apple, please give we, – as we've talked about, you said, please give me a smaller phone, Apple. I'm tired of these larger phones. I said the same thing. Many of us said the same thing. But then when push came to shove, Apple said, OK, well, here's the trade-off chart. And you went, eh, yeah. I'm going to make this trade-off over here. And so the question, of course, is Apple – can you make the phone that has the right trade-offs for me? And yeah. I want to stop saying, Apple, why do you keep doing this to me? Yes. Because <laughs> that's what it feels like. Yes. No, uh, for sure. No, it's like, yeah, sure, we'll give you a smaller phone, but uh, you like cameras? Mm, well, it'll be okay. And, you know, to be, to be clear, it is the best camera on a phone I've ever had, <laughs> but, but that wouldn't be the case for you. Right. Uh, so, uh, case. Anyway. Oh. Anyway. Um, <laughs> I see. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Well, that's that's the I, – I said I didn't want to belabor this, so we should we should move on. But there's hope. Sure. There's hope in the, in the supply chain rumors and things. All right. And then the other highlight of the week, or was it the weekend, was Super Mario 3D World with Bowser's Fury was released. Yes. Have you played this yet? Yeah, I've been watch uh well, watching. I've been watching the whole family play some more 3D World. Sure. And then I've been playing Bowser's Fury with my son. So I have thoughts. Um I'm sure you do too. Oh, Who should go yeah. first? Uh let let me go. Um uh, okay. do you want me to take it away with Bowser's Fury or should we review the state of Mario 3D World? Let's start with the familiar. Let's let's both talk about 3D World. So you go first and then we'll talk about Bowser's Fury. So if you didn't have the Wii U, then this is all fresh, and it's not all that different from the graphics and style of Mario Odyssey, but it has a different approach in that it is intended to be the a split difference between a uh, two-dimensional side-scroller and uh, a 3D world environment. So you don't have an awful lot of control over the camera, but the maps are relatively simple and force you to use a quasi-scrolling view. And then you go from uh, one up to four players. You play simultaneously. It is fun and easy to join a game a spur of the moment. If you just got into the room and the game already had started, you could quickly join a game already underway. And then Yeah, their, their multiplayer is really well done in this game. Yeah, and the controls are virtually the same as they were for the Wii U. It's not like you're missing something in handheld mode versus a TV mode of the game. Well, I have to confess, I only played it on the TV with a pro controller. So, Yeah, and this was also a place where, as a side note, a footnote into the story, they introduced the Captain Toad game during the original version of the Wii U. Which I never Mario got into. Th- well, in, Yeah, I didn't either, but it was actually a pretty good game. So TJ- oh, the kids love it. Yeah, we rented it earlier in 2020 off of Gamefly, and we played well over half of the game, and for what it was worth, it was creative. I can't say that it got a lot of points for being a widely engaging game, but it got a lot of points for creativity, and so we enjoyed that a few nights while we were waiting for something else to do. Uh, But yeah. Uh, Super Mario 3D World, it was a great game on the Wii U, and it's very satisfying to revisit that game and play it through again. 
Yeah, so my thoughts on 3D World, uh, it, it's it's the, as good a game as I remember. I haven't played it in a while because our Wii U has been incapable of of playing off of discs for a while. It um, the, the disc reader just stopped reading discs. So I haven't been able to play it for a while. I was happy to get it on our modern Nintendo platform. Uh, it is quite as good a game as I remember, for sure. It, um, and I, th- I think I've talked about this before. This is what I would call the um, the evolution of Mario as we knew him as a side scroller. Um, it is very much the continuing with that line. It is the elements that we've grown accustomed to in Mario as a side scroller all the way back from 1985 and that evolution of game. Obviously, it's very different, and you're now in 3D space, but when you look around, they all the elements look like they belong in the Mario side-scrolling world. And I love that about this game, and I, I do find that... Um, you know, Nintendo, of course, has done other 3D uh, Mario games. I consider them a different line for the most part, except for this one. And I would say that what Nintendo has done here with this game has made it much easier to control Mario in 3D space than they, they've they've finally perfected the or they've gotten closer so that I can feel comfortable playing a 3D game. Because early on in 3D Mario worlds and games, I had a hard time controlling Mario in 3D space, especially in Super Mario 64 which I've been playing and enjoying, but I do find it very difficult to to control Mario. And, and what really annoys me about um, Mario in 3D space and most of the other games, um, even Odyssey to some extent, is the camera control. I don't find that Nintendo makes good decisions with camera placement, and so I'm trying to adjust it, and I find controlling that camera yeah. extremely frustrating. It is. And... That doesn't seem to be present in this game. Like, I find the camera is always where it needs to be. I never, ever go for an adjustment. I don't even know if it's – I can't even think right now. Maybe I do it without thinking, but I don't know that – is it possible to adjust the camera in this game? I don't remember. I know every time I try to adjust the camera, it goes eh, 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 eh. Interesting. Okay. Then uh, when I'm not thinking about it the rest of the time. But I do try. And it's funny that if you do tap that joystick on the right, it will respond like, oh, this is the camera joystick. And uh, no, I can't do it for you now. Yeah, so but but the the point I'm making is I never feel a need to adjust the camera in this game, and I wish that some of uh, the other games would learn from the camera placement of whatever they're doing here, whatever it is. It is so much better than any other 3D Mario platformer, even the more modern ones, which have gotten better. But it still doesn't feel like uh, those other games all make good decisions because those other games are from what I would call the 3D Mario uh, evolution. So that started with Super Mario 64 and continued through Super Mario Sunshine and things like that and culminated most recently with – culminated is the wrong word because I'm sure they'll make more. But but that line of games has gone on to be Super Mario Odyssey, which I do I, – Super Mario Odyssey is one of the most fun games I have ever played. But one of my frustrations was I found camera placement was better than it had ever been in a in a 3D Mario game, but still not fantastic. It still was like, I'm going for the adjustment. And the adjustments yep. are never intuitive. They're always backwards from what I expect. And so then I got to, oh, I think I need to mm-hmm. – I, so I, you eventually find the controls and get it a little more intuitive. But it's just like they make poor decisions regarding the camera, and it just it – just, it's crazy-making. So anyway – that all that to say, Super Mario 3D World is a great 3D Mario game, and it's a lot of fun. the The story is a lot less um, dr- dramatic, you know, because your 3D games have always been more like dramatic, especially like um, uh, Super Mario Odyssey, Super Mario 64, for that matter. Um, even Super Mario Sunshine, there's very dramatic storytelling, and this game certainly has some story elements to it, but it's mostly like 
go have fun on the platforms. <laughs> yeah, it gives you an excuse. At the beginning of the game, there is a, a prologue, and they yes. show that Bowser's capturing these fairy princesses, and it's like, okay, well, we got to do something about this, I guess. <laughs> we just got to. Yeah, so. yeah. Yeah, so I, I love this game, and it is a great game, and it has made me want... So, the you know, playing games as an adult is a balance of, I have a lot of things to do, I have a lot of things I want to accomplish, and also I want to take some time and chill out. And yeah. there's TV I want to watch and all this stuff, and so... Typically what happens for me is I'll get a new game like Mario Odyssey, I'll play it, and I'll, I'll forsake the other uh, off time to play the game, you know, on my TV shows and stuff and my podcasts, and I'll play the game, and then I'll, I'll lose interest or I'll beat it or whatever, and then I go back to TV and podcasts. And what'll happen here is we've got the new Shiny, and I'll go play it for a while instead of watching TV at night, and then it'll probably lose interest for me. But, you know, <laughs> yeah. um, that's, that's kind of the up and down of my gaming life. <laughs> Yeah, I try to break it up. I watch a couple of shows one night and then another night I'm playing a game with my wife and then another day of the week I'm watching a movie. So I I, I don't want to just, what do you call, binge watch or binge play all the time and burn these things out because Mm -hmm. that was the risk with the original release of uh, Super Mario 3D World is that you binged it then on the Wii U and there weren't that many titles. So if you weren't interested in Donkey Kong Country and you already have... Oh, I love Donkey Kong Country. Oh, it's a fantastic game. But even then, so if you're going to get a game, you just you don't want to binge play it for too long. Like I have a Mario Tennis and I have never played it all the way through. But anytime I start to think, you know what? I need to take a break from this game. I'll play some Mario Tennis instead so that I just don't get sick and tired of a good game like that. Yeah, as a, as a side note, one of the things I love about Donkey Kong Country, and I have yet to see... No, that's not true. I forgot. Mar- okay, so Mario did something like this with the Yoshi series, where um, Yoshi's Crafted World uses really great 3D... Uh, uses the 3D space in a really fun way. So so Donkey Kong Country, you, you are in 2D space when you're controlling, but then sometimes you get shot to a platform in the back or a platform in the front, and so it uses 3D space oh, yeah. that way, which Very is really fun and yoshi's crafted world it's not quite like that but it does something similar anyway that's a that's a side note so then we got bowser's fury and bowser's fury this is way better than i was really expecting Mm. well this this muddies the waters a little bit so i've talked about the lines of mario games where you've got the platformer the 2d platformers eventually leading up to super mario 3d world and then you've got the super mario 64 line leading up to mario odyssey bowser's fury feels like they blended the two it, yeah. it very much feels like uh, the look of it is more Mario Odyssey. The controls of it are more Mario Odyssey. The camera is as bad as Mario – worse than Mario Odyssey. I don't remember having this much trouble with the camera. Like I I am finding the camera placed poorly all the time in Bowser's Fury. Yeah. It really frustrates yeah. me. But um, it, it feels much more like it, – it, it, it feels a lot like Super Mario Sunshine to be honest. Um, and in fact, there's a lot of elements of it. I think maybe the uh, the beta version of the game internally was called Super Mario's Camera Game World. Uh, <laughs> maybe so. But are you? How familiar are you with uh, Super Mario Sunshine? I watched my brother play it for a few hours, and then I got the Super Mario 3D All Stars. So I introduced okay. my wife to it to see if she was interested in playing it. Yep, we yep. played it together for about two hours uh, two weeks ago. And that's really like the only experience I have watching my brother back when it was still new and then playing it again just now Mm -hmm. on the 3D All-Stars. So uh, would would you agree that this is a lot like Super Mario Sunshine? Yes. I I thought about that along the way. Like there's this um, 
I don't even know what to call him, but there's this mysterious black figure that resembles Mario or Luigi who has red eyes and runs away from you. Yeah, I think then, it's Metal Mario. Okay, so, uh, so it, we can call him Metal Mario, but I always thought of Metal Mario as uh, Mario with metal cap. Um, this is more like a villain who you're trying to chase around. Does that ring a bell? Oh, Shadow Mario. That's Shadow who it is. Mario, yeah. He's an evil doppelganger of Mario. He That's makes his first name. appearance in Super Mario Sunshine as Mario's enemy, Shadow Mario. And he um, makes a reprise in Bowser's Fury. Yeah, there's something going on there. I, I'm only a little bit into the gameplay, but I um, w- one thing that I found about Bowser's Fury is that it is a little bit frenetic um, and a little bit like, oh, you're out of control. Like you, d- you know, things happen, and you're like, oh, I was doing this thing, but now I got to stop, and Bowser's about to blow, you know, fire at me, and I got to find a hiding place, and you know, it's just it's interesting, and and it's um, it eschews. So so one of the things that separates the the lines of Mario is kind of the map world, right? Where, and you didn't have the map, but the idea of it was there in, um, in Super Mario, uh, uh, the original Super Mario Brothers. And then in Super Mario 64, you kind of have this idea of a map, but it's very, like, you're playing through all of it. You don't ever go out to the map and, and be like, oh, I'm gonna go to here, and then to here, and then to here. And that, that's very much the way this is, where you have this entire big world, and you get from area to area just by going there. Yeah. Um, you know, what, 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 what a little me Breath of the Wild like that, yeah. Yeah, yeah, it is definitely like that. So it's this big, gigantic world that you can explore. Um, I, of, of course, haven't finished Bowser's Fury yet, but it definitely feels like a smaller game, I think, than any of the other 3D Marios so far. Yeah, it would feel like one enormous mm, level or like one <laughs> small Mario game. Or many smaller levels. Yeah, but it's all oh. on the same in the same environment, so it feels exactly, like. Exactly, yes. But it, the music it, changes yeah. as you go from place to place. You know, the funny thing about a staged level-based game like this is that it occurred to me when playing Mario Odyssey, and it, and it still feels like this across many of the Mario Brother games, that it's like Mario is basically running around in an obstacle course or yes. a overgrown, um, dangerous playground. You know, that's trying to kill him. And there's a lot of clever mechanics. There's interesting scenarios and they always do a remix. So they throw in some Koopas and Goombas, but they introduce a few new different kind of creatures like the funny um, theme for Bowser's Fury because it's also uh, related to Super Mario 3D World is that all the villains have cat ears and yes. there's like a furry Koopa. <laughs> well, it's interesting cool. because it, it is such a blending of the worlds, but they definitely have so... I, it's I I can't remember ever seeing the platforming elements from that platforming the two D platforming line so prominent in a game that feels more like the Super Mario sixty four line, but mm. you have those elements all over. You've got the the platforms that switch sides when you jump up in the air, yep. and you've you've got um, just all kinds of elements like that. The, the cat ears from from Super Mario three D World, so very much related. I, I still wonder if there's a story reason why that's the case, but I'm I'm still playing through, so we'll find out. Yeah, and it also is a a funny little side story that it begins with Mario just thrown into a problem where Bowser Jr. wants his help because his pa is out of sorts, and Bowser Jr. knows that it's only because he's infected or affected by the Shadow Inc. Uh, swamp, you know, and so he's got to do something about it and help rescue his dad and help him to calm way down and uh, be uninfected by this toxic soup surrounding the area 
And so he's recruiting Mario to help him do it. And, and it's it's very funny because like Mario looks like he is is despising bowser jr he's got his uh, uh, eyelids lowered yeah you know, usually mario funny. has a really bright big smile like he's really excited to see everything let's go yeah, yeah he always <laughs> has that attitude and here he looks like he's looking down his nose at bowser I think, jr didn't, i'm trying to remember didn't they even have some like hmm you know some some sound effects like that coming from mario yeah 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 <laughs> so and then at fun. the end he's like okay yeah, 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 exactly. Right. Okay, you want me to help save your dad? You, you're willing to admit that you need my help? Okay, I'll do it. <laughs> yeah, no, it, it is interesting because you got a little bit of that in Odyssey toward the end, you know, when you uh, you, you have to uh, take over and control Bowser. But then you, you get to the end and Mario and Bowser are both basically fighting over Peach. And then Peach says to both of them, basically, you're, you're dumb, get out of here, I don't want either of you. And then they're both sort of like, huh? You know, so you definitely see them heading in that direction a little bit. It, it's a it's a fun direction to take the franchise. Like, look, they've been enemies for years. You got Bowser Jr. here. Now let's what what happens when we when we change it up a little bit and teaming up with Bowser Jr. Uh, Bowser obviously is still the big bad. So that's you know I don't know. We'll it's interesting. Uh, so what would you do? Would you say it's a good recommend? Everybody should get it if they have a Switch and they're looking for something new. Yeah, I've had fun with it. I've only played it, you know, a little bit so far. Um, but definitely for the 3D Mario 3D World is well worth it. It is one of Nintendo's better games, uh, one of Nintendo's better Mario games, or probably just in general. Um, Bowser's Fury, I think the jury is still out. Um, I, it's not as fun for me, but um, I'm having fun with it. Um, Plessy is a big downside. I, I always have trouble controlling Plessy. Oh yeah. Mm. <sighs> but anyway, yeah, I'm having fun with it. It's fine. It's curious. It does feel like the kind of game I want to have in my Mario library because it's probably going to be years before it's introduced to some sort of all-stars game. And in the meanwhile, I want it. This is the only way to get it for the Switch. So I'm going to say yes. And you can get a discount if you're if you were on the fence, you didn't want to spend $60 for it. You can still find it for, I think it's like $50 at Walmart. And But if you want the convenience, just download the thing. And I think it's $60. That's one thing that I understand because they're giving you Bowser's Fury and it's new content and it's brand new that you should pay a little bit more of the upfront cost as a new game. But because Super Mario 3D World is not, it's a little bit like, is it really worth $60? But I think it is with Bowser's Fury. I, right, and, and and the cynical take is that that's the reason they developed Bowser's Fury, which is definitely a smaller game, but to make it seem like, oh, see, we're throwing this in for you too, um, so you should pay us the full price. It was It's fine. I probably would have paid the full price just to have Mario 3D World again because, like I said, it's one of the better modern Mario games. Yep. Do you want to tell me about um, these Apple-like desktop wallpapers? Yeah, so this came out a few weeks ago. They were, I saw this on Twitter, and it was a designer. Let me see if I can track down his name. He is at DizzyUp on Twitter. Let me look okay. at his real name. If I can Hector find Simpson. It. Hector Simpson. And he's a really accomplished designer. He has a good eye for the Apple style, but I would also like to say it feels like if you had the design child of Dribble, Instagram, Twitter, and Apple together. You know, so a good third-party developer's designer, and he has this um, a good uh, feel. He understands flat designs. He understands colorful palettes and color coordination, skeuomorphism on his icons, 
And I, I just love his portfolio. And it was a few weeks ago that he was saying, hey, I got a new series of wallpapers. Check it out if you ever liked the Aqua wallpapers for the Mac. So you'll remember that there have been a series of blue wallpapers of yesteryear where you had these abstract waving shapes swirling in different directions. And every new version of Mac would have a new default blue wallpaper that got a little bit sharper, got a little bit more HD until eventually it all became about cats. And then they were just giving you cat pictures for your default (laughs) wallpaper. Yep. Well, a lot of us probably missed those days of the blue wallpapers. And I think it was Stephen Hackett a few years ago put together a upscaled, higher resolution version of the original Mm -hmm. blue wallpapers. And they were And I have them. Very handy. Very nice. I've used them on my Macs. On occasion, I usually change out my Mac wallpaper every few months. Uh, I'm really happy mm. for it. With, I do about for, once with a month. it for a while, mm-hmm. and then I, and then it just gets dull very suddenly, and then I've got to change it. And that's what happened around the time that I got uh, Hector's wallpapers. So the series is called Aku Aque Aquux. Uh, <laughs> uh, it is spelled A Q U E U X. Aku, I guess. And what he has done here is he has a kind of reimagined one of the more popular blue wallpapers that Apple made and modernized it. So it's not the same waves, but it definitely is in that vein. And he's made various colorized versions. You can get it in aqua, which is a really saturated aquatic blue, or in graphite, or in crystal, or noir. Noir. And yes, that. (laughs) And it's fun, too, that you get it in a dark and light mode. So, TJ, if you buy the desktop version for $3, that'll give you 11 dynamic wallpapers. So if you were to choose crystal in the light mode, it looks extra snowy white. And then if you switch to dark mode, it makes it a nice muted silvery toned gray. Yeah. So it's Uh really clever. Yeah, and, and the wallpaper that he's chosen to emulate from – I love how he says it from classic Mac OS X. I'm like, uh, I'm old. Um, anyway, uh, <laughs> the, 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 the wallpaper that he's chosen to sort of look a lot like is the one that I think of from Panther when I think of Mac OS desktop wallpaper. I, I am definitely – That's right, yeah. I am definitely going to buy this collection for $3. Um, I want this very much. I, I so, like that he really went the extra mile because in addition to having the light and dark modes – You also have the Era Editions, so you have a colorized version for Leopard, another version colored for Lion and Mavericks and Yosemite and Sierra. And if you're familiar with their wallpapers, you'll see what he meant by this because the color scheme splashed across the abstract shapes resembles a lot of the default wallpapers for those generations. Like, for example, in the case of Sierra, I remember that there was like fall colors over the mountains in the default wallpapers. And it is, he captured the color scheme and put it across these mm-hmm. waves. So good job. No, I, I, I really love this. And, and I recommend, it looks like he has some other nice, cool things on his um, about page as well, Hector.me. Uh, he's also a on the design team at HashiCorp, uh, which I'm familiar with. So uh, 
fun, fun times. And uh, yeah, for $3, I mean, I'm just looking over these wallpapers. There's no way I'm not getting this because these are great wallpapers and I love them. And when I'm out of my, right now I have a Star Trek themed wallpaper, but when I'm out of that mode, I'm going probably going to put one of these as my wallpaper for sure. This will be in the show notes. And that's why I wanted to get to this, uh, even though we were looking at the time going, hmm, do we have time for this? But yeah. uh, I wanted to talk about this because these look fantastic. Yep. It's good. It's good eye candy. Enjoy. Well, I think that is the show. Joseph, what do you think? Yep, it's a good place to wrap it up. So um, if people want to talk to you about these wallpapers or Super Mario 3D World or uh, Harpooning a Turtle, you know, these sorts of things, where where, they, where can they find uh, yeah. you at? Grab me on Twitter. I'm at JCS Darnell. And uh, also on my other podcast, I'm on Equinox, which is available at nightowl.fm like this one. And I am TJ Draper Pro on Twitter. Catch me there. Talk to me about uh, Super Mario 3D World or anything else that suits your fancy. And uh, that's where you'll find me. Show notes for this episode for the things we talked about uh, will be at nightowl.fm slash hi-fi slash 22. And that's it for us. We'll talk to you next week. TJ, let's talk about some one division. I have to catch up. I got two weeks worth of homework assignments, and uh, I know you're just dying to get it out. Yes, yes. Th- thank you Five for the email that I received. The um, somebody texted me and said, "Hey, I was looking forward to your um, to your podcast, uh, your po- post show on Wandavision, and I tuned in last week, and there you were not talking about Wandavision. So wah, that was uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So we have to talk about Wandavision. But first of all, um, I ran across a tweet by IndieWire. Uh, I used to follow IndieWire uh, a little bit when I was into uh, writing movie." base site. I wanted to keep up with the news and IndieWire was one of the sites that I, you know, kept an eye on and they tweet out an article and the, on Twitter and, and the thing preceding the link to the article, which I did not follow. I will not follow. I will not read this nonsense, but it says (laughs) after six episodes, WandaVision still feels far too much like an inflated feature film that keeps dragging out its story via inconvenient weekly installments. (sighs) Are we complaining about having nice things? We're complaining about having suspense and drama. I mean, come on! What? I think I think Netflix. It's become more and more apparent that Netflix's strategy of rolling out entire seasons at once has been very bad for us, and we can't even sit and 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 enjoy a weekly show that that brings us, you know, anticipation. Like half of the fun of this show, eh, maybe a little less than half, but a lot <laughs> of the fun of this show is looking forward to sitting down with my wife and watching a single episode that just came out. Yeah. Something to look forward to every week. I think it was Tyler Stallman on Twitter was saying that he loves this format. He prefers to have something to look forward to every week. And he, it hit me right in the feels. I, I finally have gotten there. I feel the same way now. I really liked it when we had binge-watching material. And it was a new novel experience. But I, you know what I would really like is if Disney Plus is going to keep doing this, we need our WandaVision for like Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday evenings, and then we're all set. So we need a different show for every day, and uh, then you can break them up and you can spread them out over nine weeks. I w- well, that the, would be super. Well, the good news is there's lots of shows available. Um, I've recommended a few on this very podcast, mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. you can go and catch those on those other nights. Look, I, I just I, I want to have nice things, and IndieWire is advocating for not nice things, <laughs> and they need to go away. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> So the other thing I wanted to mention before we really dive mm-hmm. in here is that um, 
the sitcomy nature of this, like I, I think what I said is that I don't generally enjoy sitcoms, but there were exceptions, and Full House was one of those exceptions because I grew up with it and I have probably a nostalgia for it. But I, it made me want to go back and watch Full House. And so I had started at the beginning, and I realized I probably hadn't seen much of season one, if any, of season one of Full House because I started watching it when it became more popular. Hmm. And um, so that was a lot of fun. So I've, I'm in season three now of Full House, but I've been watching Full House. And it's the sort of thing – the nice thing about it – here I am. I may be turning my mind around on sitcoms. But the nice thing about it is – um, that I can basically have it on while I'm working um, because it's not a big deal if I miss something and it's just sort of playing and I can look down at my iPad while I'm working and laugh a little bit when, you know, when Joey does something funny or cut it out, you know, or, <laughs> or uh, you know, John Stamos, uh, Jesse, uh, you know, or whatever, you know, or Michelle says, you got it, dude. Um, so it has been a lot of fun to watch Full House, and I may need to introduce my kids to this, because I feel like we've lost something in TV with not having content like this. Um, this this show is just, there's not a lot of plot, and it's fun, <laughs> and it's entertaining, and it's light. And I say it's light, but they also deal with some heavy issues from time to time, like grief, you know, because because the, the, the family has lost their mother. The Tanners lost their mother. That's why Uncle Joey and Uncle Jesse moved in with them to, to help out Danny, you know, these sorts of things. And so they deal with these things, too. But for the most part, it's just a light, fun show that does lots of zany things, and I have been loving this, and I'm wondering why we don't make TV like this anymore. It's really a, a bummer. You know, I don't know what to say about that. Like I haven't, my heart hasn't warmed up to going back to nineties era style sitcom though. I, I can, I can imagine getting there because I have enjoyed the oldies, the, you know, the shows like the Dick Van Dyke show in more recent year. And maybe it was because I was watching it for historical relevance you know like okay this is entertaining yes but it's really more interesting to just see what were they doing with tv at the time and i like dick van dyke so i want to see more of dick van dyke and that's really the only reason so like oh, i want to see more historical relevant content and and I, I don't know if my my sensibilities have warmed up to the idea of a more modern sitcom just yet there aren't any particular characters and actors that i want to follow like that well, I'll tell you the other thing. I mean, I've had on my radar to go back and catch Full House for a while. And mm -hmm. then so seeing the sitcom nature of WandaVision kind of reignited that in me. But I mean, part of the reason, too, I've had it on my radar is because of mm -hmm. Fuller House, which yeah. I haven't watched because I wanted to go and remind myself what Full House was. I don't think that it would be nearly as interesting unless you I had it fresh think in your I'd mind. I think I disagree, but well, well, oh, you did caveat, okay, unless it was fresh in your mind, yeah. Right. So, yeah, we'll see. I'm, I'm, I'm going to keep watching straight through all eight seasons of Full House, and then I'm going to jump over to Fuller House, and, um, I, yeah, I, I, I've also been reading a little bit about Fuller House and some various things, and I think I'm going to like it. And maybe they are, you know, maybe that is a nod toward having TV that is a little more like. You know, with a little more modern twist, but a little more like, you know, Full House. Um, that would be that would be wonderful and lovely. And I've heard I should watch Ted Lasso. I know, I know, but... Anyway. I think that WandaVision is a priority. <laughs> For sure, of course. Of course it is. Speaking of, shall we talk about uh, WandaVision? Yes. So it was episode five. How, how much detail do we want to go to? 
Uh, well, horn? I kind of. Oh, oh yeah, we're definitely ringing the spoiler horn uh, or the the spoiler alert. I use the Star Trek Red Alert sound. I'll I'll put it right yes. here. This is your Good warning. That we're gonna spoil WandaVision like crazy. But before before we even dive into the story, I kind of just wanted to note uh, and and I, I I actually sent you a link. Um, and you, you, instead of, instead of clicking the link, you said, what is this? And so I just, I'm going to explain what Marvel legends are. <laughs> so these are just like, so far there's only two episodes, one on, um, episodes, two, um, episodes, I guess they're episodes, but they're basically recaps of characters and, or, or just showing you moments of that character throughout the Marvel, um, universe. Uh, the Marvel, Marvel stories. And so the first one is on Wanda, uh, Scarlet Witch, and the second one is on Vision. And they're interesting and reminded mm. you, reminded me of things that, um, had gone down. But, but one thing that, that I kind of wanted to note here is what Wanda has been through up until this point, you know, r- before coming uh, into WandaVision. So, uh, Wanda first appeared with her brother, uh, in the credit scene for Winter Soldier. Uh, she and her brother survived being experimented on with Loki's scepter, which I think we're supposed yeah. to assume gave her her powers. Um, and then you've got in Age of Ultron, she had a pretty bad experience, we find out, with, uh, a Stark-made weapon, and she's gonna, she's out for blood with her brother. Uh, so she joins with Ultron, who betrays her and her brother. Her brother is killed in front of her. Her city is pretty much destroyed in front of her. And so she joins up with the Avengers, uh, that she was, she was trying to kill at the beginning of the film. Because then in Civil War, she's trying to become a good Avenger and use her powers for good, and she winds up hurting a lot of people. Then there's a bunch of jerks who want to lock her away. <laughs> and then she, uh, takes sides against Vision. She's captured and placed in custody at the raft, and then Cap has to come break her out. And then in Infinity War, she's been on the run with Vision, apparently, and they're having a grand time, and then Granddaddy Jerk of All Jerks shows up and kills Vision, and Wanda gets a little bit dusty. And so here we are. She's undusty. You know, she uh, she fought Thanos. She didn't even remember who she was. Like, I don't even know who you are, you know? And, um, and so here we are. <laughs> this is the road that Wanda took to get to WandaVision. <sighs> Which which reminds me, the whole thing with her and and Thanos and Thanos not remembering who she is is, I was watching one of the scenes in that thing that I that link that I sent you, yeah. um, was uh, Wanda fighting Thanos and like, man, could, could she have beaten Thanos if Thanos hadn't rained fire from his ship and distracted her? I feel like she could have. Sure she was winning. So the the link is useful. Go ahead and throw it into the show notes. But what it'll mm-hmm. do if you're not signed in, and I'm not signed in to Disney Plus on my Mac, the reason I didn't know the context was that if you're not signed in, it just takes you to like a splash page for the Legend series. And it says, mm. get this on Disney Plus or watch the trailer. So from here, it didn't actually present like these are the episodes that are available for Legends. Gotcha. And I clicked the trailer and the trailer is a beautiful teaser. For Marvel content, it feels like an extra long version of their Marvel animated logo at the top of the movies because it just shows off silhouettes and and, uh, brief vignettes of their action of all the heroes and then says, this is Legends. So that much I understood. But what you're describing sounds very cool. So what you're saying is like it's a montage uh, centered around the characters from the various movies or do they tie right. it in with commentary or something? No, no, no. It's just montages from the movies. Mm. Um, so it's nice filler to remind you like where the yeah. character has been and what the key moments for that character, at least in Marvel's eyes, were. That is and really good because there's going to always be new first-time followers and watchers that are a new generation of people that are saying, okay, I don't know what's going on. What's with the Incredible Hulk? And they can find the episode about the Incredible Hulk. So that's great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So anyway, I highly recommend that. And um, 
yeah. So let's let's dive into episode five, shall we? Okay. So I'm I I definitely remember episode six. <laughs> I'm a, a a little bit uh, hazy on what what which was what because I saw these back to back. Well, and, so uh, yeah. again, we're in spoiler territory. Yeah, so yeah. Uh, episode five is the one where at the very end, Quicksilver shows up, but not not uh, not Pietro from this universe, but Pietro yeah. Quicksilver from Fox's <laughs> X Men. Um, oh, so good. Well, yeah, and I and and, got so and it wasn't. Even, it wasn't even the sort of thing where it's like, oh, that's Quicksilver, and you move on. It was they 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 <sighs> drew attention to it. Darcy's like. She recast Pietro? I know, like, it's so I, good. And, and so they clearly have a plan. It wasn't just like, oh, we're just going to switch actors and not tell anybody. And just you just have to go with it, which is normally what you do when you switch actors, right? But in this case, they're making it part of the thing. I have a theory. I have a several theories. But my <laughs> current my current theory is that, um, you know, uh, Disney, Marvel, whatever, has owns Fo- Disney owns Fox now, and they're going to reintegrate all of Fox properties into – um, into Marvel, but the way they're going to do this is basically that the X Men franchise happened in a different part of the multiverse. So you have Doctor Strange coming up, which is the multiverse mad multiverse of madness or whatever they're calling it, something like that. And so you have this. <laughs> thing, it, so it's dealing. We're we're definitely stepping out into the multiverse. We already opened that door with End Endgame, right? So so now we know these various different universes exist, and so now it's about it's about bringing them together. Um, and we've seen other franchises do this, specifically the DC TV universe did the, has been doing this with their various Earths and this sort of thing. And so I think that what we have here is this is Quicksilver from that series. But it's interesting because, um, as we'll find out in episode six, he has our Pietro from the MCU. He has his memories, uh, so it seems. But maybe that's Wanda putting his memories into this version of Pietro? Like – it's it's interesting, but Marvel clearly is doing this on purpose and not just switching actors behind the scenes. Yeah, and I've seen a few examples of uh, YouTubers who like to uh, brainstorm theories like this, and they were making theories about the side character Agnes. They were suggesting more things about why and how Wanda may have gotten into this predicament based on comic book stories with her. And all in all, it felt like with episode five and six that they were trying with the show to say, no, 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 that theory can't be right either. No, if you thought it was Agnes, it's, it's not that direction either. Well, that, because, that's, that's hmm. interesting. I guess we can't talk about just episode five because we already know what happened in episode six, but you got, um, you know, episode five really makes you ask what in the world is up with Agnes? Because, you know, she does this right. thing where she wants to do a scene over. She's like, do you want me to do that to take that from the top? Or, you know, she, it's like she breaks breaks out a character and she has some awareness of what's going on and and but then in episode six she seems to be under the spell too so it's like maybe she's not the key maybe marvel was just teasing us but when i you know in the best possible way like what is happening yeah because you for a lot of episode four and five the the guilty finger is starting to point towards wanda but then with episode six it feels like wanda is largely confused about the details as well. Like she doesn't understand how she arrived in this circumstance, which is what Vision's position is. He's the guy right. who has amnesia and doesn't know how he got into this mess. Whereas right, so, Wanda seems to be in control, but at the same time, not remember how it happened. But well, Vision Wanda, doesn't have that advantage. 
Wanda definitely has a measure of control. And Wanda yeah. is definitely – she has not lost her memory. She has all of it. It's all available to her. Um, but but the question is, is Wanda not remembering details or is she losing control of things just because it's too much for her to handle and, and it's just slipping away from her? Or is it because somebody else is involved and we don't know who that is yet and maybe Wanda doesn't know who that is yet either? So I, I know this is a um, a turn, a 90-degree turn in this series – but I, I wanted to raise the question, what do you think they're going to do with the organization S.W.O.R.D.? Because it's kind of a replacement for S.H.I.E.L.D. It's not at the same time. It introduces the, uh, all kinds of new possibilities. They could m- integrate S.W.O.R.D. with the future Avengers films. Maybe they just keep it reserved for the television shows. And they could have crisscrossing characters in the shows make cameo appearances in the future movies. Or maybe it's just a thing that shows up in Wanda and they don't really have any future plans for it until that day comes, you know, six, seven years from now. Who knows? But I have to think that S.W.O.R.D. is going to stick around. And they're actually introducing characters here that they want to further develop. Well, what is – okay, so what is the place of S.W.O.R.D.? What is Hydra's mantra? In Hail Hydra, immortal Hydra, we shall never be destroyed. Cut off a limb, and two more shall take its place. We serve none but the master, as the world shall serve us. Hail Hydra. So the important part of that thing, that quote from from the mantra of Hydra, is cut off a limb, and two more shall take its place. So one theory, that, I don't know if this is the right one, but one theory is that swore, swore, I'm looking at the word, sword? I hate the sword, <laughs> yeah, the, the word is spelled so strangely. The sword is just another manifestation of Hydra working behind the scenes. Um, definitely, but, but I mean, so that's one interpretation or one possibility. The other one is just that government bureaucracies and organizations tend to become corrupt. That's the other possibility. Mm, makes sense. Yeah. Both of those make a lot of sense. And there's been allusions to Hydra in things like the the commercials that you see on WandaVision. So if you look at the branding on products. Sure, there have been that and that that kind of uh, maybe bolsters my theory that that this is just another, you know, Hydra's behind the scenes controlling another government quasi-government organization. Um that certainly could be and it could be a hint that this is the Hydra is behind it. But on the other hand, um, something that I learned today that I didn't really know, or maybe I'd heard it and I'd forgotten it, but that WandaVision is going to tie directly into Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of the multiverse of Madness, I think is what it's called. Oh, yeah. um, so the events here are directly related to what's going to take place in that film, apparently. So it, it may be and, – and it seems like bringing Hydra back at this point for a film is just – we've been there, done that. So maybe not. Maybe it's just – maybe the stuff with the commercials is just fun. You know, I don't know. The – it's also interesting that they they got Pietro and they have the children growing up really fast and they got to do more in episode six. So Wanda is trying to get along with the boys and wondering where her husband has flown off to and act like everything is fine, having her deceased brother back for no apparent reason. And then Pietro is supposed to be acting like this is totally chill as well. For no clear reason, he keeps on poking his sister with questions and remarks that imply, like, I think you're up to something and you're not talking. But then, yeah, she, you know, she eventually snaps and <laughs> she yeah. doesn't like it. She does, for sure. But no, it she's... also freaks out the boys. So this happens in front of the boys. Like, comments are made in front of the boys that kind of freak them out. And like, your dad's dead? What? Bring him back to life again? No. Well, yeah. 
Oh. It is interesting because this version of Pietro looks like the Quicksilver from X-Men has the memories apparently of our of the Quicksilver from uh MCU and but is also not under Wanda's control. Well, seems to be under some sort of Wanda's control but also has a complete awareness of the entire situation. So it's definitely different, definitely interesting. Whereas Vision, of course, has no memories except for what happened here, but also is not under Wanda's control. Who knows what's going on? So Especially the since I, Pietro is different from Vision in that detail, that he has more of an understanding of what is going on. Right, which, I mean, suppose Vision, if, if Wanda used the exact same powers to bring, assuming that it was Wanda, to bring these people, both of them, back from the dead – um then assume we assume i guess that vision lost all his memories because the mind stone is gone uh maybe that's where the memories were stored i I don't know uh (laughs) i don't know it's all weird another thing that i noticed um is that when wanda steps out of the fake world and into the real world uh she has her sokovian accent again um yes so i don't know if there's anything to that or not it maybe maybe not i don't know uh, and they talk about the accent, too, in episode six, um, where uh, she says, what happened to your accent, Pietro? And he he goes, what happened to yours? <laughs> you know, um, and then they just sort of drop it. Um, I don't know. <sighs> it's a, It's been a very entertaining show where they're giving us just enough to satisfy every episode, but mm-hmm. also leave us hanging every time. Oh, yeah. Every but time the, it gets to the, the end. And I'm like, really? Way. We're at the end? No, no. Yes. I want more. <laughs> I'm honestly excited. Like this yeah. is the time of year when there's not a whole lot of other interesting new things on television to follow. And I, I like this strange new world where streaming networks are, you know, what like Disney plus or CBS all access or whatever it is. They are aware of the fact that they got to keep giving us new things year round to keep us subscribed. Yeah. So that's a lot of fun. Rather than waiting for the seasonal-based content where only two major seasons really matter and then you get a dry spell in the summer, <laughs> it seems mm-hmm. like the online streaming services are thinking in the audience's favor. We win because we get something every season. If they finish one division, the next one is going to be the Falcon and Winter Soldier storyline. And then after that, yeah. it's going to be the Boba Fett storyline. And then mm-hmm. it'll go on forever. Yes. No, Disney definitely has their hooks in. Some of the questions or, you know, details or whatever from these episodes, um, Hayward is definitely a jerk, but it's unclear if he's a, a bad guy or the bad guy or if he's just a jerk. Um, I, I don't know. I, I still feel like that's a misdirect. I, I think they want you to think he's the bad guy, but he's not. I think there's still some other player that we haven't seen yet. Um, we're Okay, so <laughs> up until episode six – There were no children except for the two that were born to Wanda, that the children were missing, not there. And then all of a sudden in episode six, there all the children are. So have they just been asleep? Like, And in fact, Pietro mentions it even and says, oh, there's all the children. You've handled the ethics of this situation. Interestingly, you know, you've made them all sleep or whatever. And it's just like they're calling attention to it. There there were no children. Now they're all over. Um, yeah, there's questions there about what the, what in the world. And, and of course you had an episode two. It's like for the children, like everybody, everything was for the children. Um, Wanda says, um, when, when Pietro asks her what happened, uh, she says, I don't, I only remember feeling completely alone and empty. I just endless, endless nothingness. Um, 
So uh, it, it it sure seems that sure seems to indicate there's an outside force like driving this to me like that Wanda is not really fully in, in control of what's going on. Uh, another question I have is what in the world is going on at the edge of town? Like, is it because her influence is waning toward the edge of town? Like there was one woman who was frozen sort of, but she had a tear kind of coming down her eye. So like apparently she was able to realize that she was being controlled or something. I don't know. Um, you know, the question of who's Agnes is still there, but like, apparently she's under Wanda's control too, or was she faking it? Like, ah, <laughs> um, it seems like vision is not going to be able to survive outside the bubble. And in order to save him, she expanded the bubble. So does that lessen her influence even more? Um, I, I, I did love that the sword base uh, becomes a circus <laughs> because yeah. that's what she, she, you know, she thinks that the entire sword operation yes. is a circus. But Dar- Darcy's now inside. We didn't see what happened to her, but we know she's inside now. Whatever it's going to um, be, it's going to be a good laugh when they reveal that. I also noticed that the time period for this episode of six was a little bit confused. You know, the intro pays homage to Malcolm in the Middle, which is a 2000 to 2006 yes. <laughs> show. But the movies playing at the West Westview Theater in, on the sign, uh, they were years apart. So the Parent Trap remake came out in 1998 and the uh, Incredibles was 2004. They both do have themes that are interesting, though, uh, for this comic universe where the Parent Trap, of course, is about twins trying to reunite their parents and the Incredibles is about a family with superpowers um both both properties owned by disney so (laughs) there's no rights issues there um yeah yeah i so more questions than answers at this point i'm guessing and again this is just the area of speculation and prediction i'm guessing that now that they have three episodes left they need for wanda to do some of her explaining in the next episode, she's got to be a little bit clearer. Maybe Vision and or Pietro or the boys or all the above confront her and she lets the cat out of the bag, what she does know, what she's trying to accomplish. She feels bad because she wasn't able to control the situation and help everybody out. And now it's out of control. And then, um, Maybe Vision kind of takes another point of view on things and says, Pietro, you come with me and the boys go off with Wanda because they're going to approach things differently. Hopefully they stick together. But then they can bring in the villain. Then they can say, well, if Wanda's not the villain, then who is? And then there's the next cliffhanger at the end of episode seven where they say, where's that evil cackle coming from? And all of a sudden the storm (laughs) clouds brew over the town and they look outside the windows and there's a giant shadowy figure. Yeah. Dormammu maybe? I don't know. Yeah. (laughs) If If it ties into Doctor Strange. But I'm I'm guessing he won't be the villain, although he does seem to exist somehow outside of the space-time continuum, so maybe it is more Dormammu. I don't know. Uh, anyway, um, yeah, interesting. Um, I don't know. I had something I was going to say, and I've forgotten it. Shoot. Do you have any what were you talking about? Do you have any oh, prediction? Oh. Oh, I remember what I was going to say. So Kevin Feige apparently has said there's three more episodes, and he said that all three episodes are an hour long each. So currently, the episodes Ooh. have been around they've been around 30 minutes now, 40 when you have the credits. But like it, it, the end of the episode and the start of the credits is usually right around uh, 30 minutes. And so apparently, the episodes are all advancing to an hour. I don't know if that's with or without the credits, which are 15 minutes long. But we'll see. <laughs> I, I I currently, other than what I've kind of said with some crackpot theories, I have no predictions. All right. Well, it's definitely been a rewarding show, and you saw you saw Mandalorian, right? 
Of course. <laughs> what kind of a nerd do you think I am, Joe? Of course I've seen good, Mandalorian. Good, 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 good. All of Mandalorian. So up to this point, would you say it's about as satisfying? You know, happy to grab a bucket of popcorn and watch either show through their first seasons about the same? Yeah, I, I think so in its way. I was I was more hooked from the get-go with Mandalorian because I could tell instantly it was the Star Wars content I wanted. I was less sure of the first couple of episodes of WandaVision, but at this point it has brought it has hooked me in just as much as The Mandalorian had. Um yeah. so yes, yes, I at, think at this point yes. I think it's more difficult for general audiences to appreciate the black and white to have so much nostalgia in the first 3 episodes. But mm-hmm. if you can make it through, then enjoy the usual Marvel Studios flair, then you can get there and you'll enjoy WandaVision just as much. And I agree with you that the the one thing about Star Wars uh, Mandalorian was that right from the beginning, you knew what you were getting. And that was a lo- lot of fun. So I, I, I have to wonder, too, what this would mean for... Shows like The Falcon and Winter Soldier show, I don't expect there to be as many bizarre mysteries involving the entire premise of the story. Maybe there's going to be some mystery around villains and then, you know, have to like hunt down evidence and, you know, help figure out who the bad guy is. But for the most part, when it comes to Loki show, that's where I expected all the weirdness. And with WandaVision, this has been a very pleasant surprise that it seems faithful to the characters to have a strange situation, but it's different from Loki. And it's obviously not as straightforwardly adventurous and heroic as Falcon and Winter Soldier. So I'm really pleased that they were able to maintain the mystique of the characters. 